the Sunday Sermons Podcast. If you're ever going to go on a real hike, actually going to climb a mountain, you need some good shoes. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you need some good shoes. You need some protection. You need something that's going to keep your feet safe. You need some good traction. You need them to be comfortable. You don't want to wear them blisters and distracting you. All of those are important. All of those are good. Keep that in mind as we go. I understand that and I believe that, but these are going to mean several things. But I get it. We need that, all of those things that shoes give us. Last week, we started a journey called Peak, and we're looking at the scriptures, especially at stories that have to do with mountains. But the point is not stories about mountains or having one more series. We're seeking God about what exactly he wants next for our church. And where he's leading us ultimately. And what are some steps, measurable steps we can make to get there as individuals and as small groups of people and as one great big group. And that's where we're headed. We started with Ararat last week. We talked about struggle. We talked about starting over. If you missed those, I hope you go back and catch up because everything we're going to do from this point on builds on that But I made a mistake last time, and I want to fix that really quickly. I I actually mentioned somebody named Steve Falloon and told you to look him up. And right afterwards, somebody came up and said, I can't find, I'm already Googling Steve Falloon, can't find it. Go back, look at all my research from months ago and found out I'd, I'd miswritten something. Steve Falloon is the test subject, not the author. Okay, so let me fix that. And it's a perfect example of how feedback works. Anytime I ever get something wrong, if I say the wrong anything, I promise you it's not intentional, but I need that help. Come and tell me if something's wrong on a slide or whatever. I love it when people do that. I actually don't love it, but I appreciate it. (laughs) Steve Falloon was a test subject of a guy named Anders Erickson, and he and Robert Poole wrote a book called Peak, How to Master Almost Anything. And in that book, they talk about purposeful practice. How many have ever heard somebody say, practice makes perfect? Okay, that's only partly true. If you show up and you do something on a regular basis, you might marginally get better. Okay, let's say you have a basketball goal in your parking lot and you go out there and you you shoot hoops a little bit every day. You're going to get better than you were before you ever tried. But you're not going to get really amazing unless you practice with purpose. And here's exactly what they mean. This is scientifically based. This is what it looks like. You have to have well-defined, specific goals that you are focused on. You're focused on those goals. There's going to be feedback involved. Somebody else is with you in this. Somebody else is going, hey, when you jump a little higher, it works a little bit. They're going to give you some feedback. Steve Falloon is not the guy, okay? You're going to get feedback, and that's important. And also, here's the crazy part. You're never going to grow unless you're always being pushed out of your comfort zone. Am I the only one that that makes uncomfortable? But it's true. So I hope you can keep on this journey with us. I hope whether this is your very first day here or your umpteenth thousandth day, Anywhere in between, we, where we're trying to go is just find out God's will for us. And I hope that you can come with us on this journey together. The next mountain that we're going to look at is one of the central symbol mountains of the scriptures. It's Mount Sinai. And the first time that we see Mount Sinai, Moses comes there. And Moses uh, is 
man, what a powerful story. I, I, on another Sunday, we'll, we'll tell all of those, all of his story because it's so powerful. But how many have ever heard the story of Moses before? Okay, that's why I thought most of us at least. But here it is condensed. And let me tell you what you need to do is go back and read it in Exodus chapters one through four. That's the part that I'm condensing in just a couple minutes here. But from his birth, they knew something was up. Something was different about Moses. We're not sure. They go to great lengths, especially his mother, Jacobet, to save this child. And he's raised miraculously. God, I know it was God that works this house. He's raised his first couple years by his own family and taught about God and taught about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those. And then he's handed off to the princess of Egypt and she raises him in the palace. He's educated there. Very unique life. And by the time he gets to his adulthood, he knows it's time to do something. And his first attempt fails miserably. He tries to save one of the Israelites and he kills him. Does this sound familiar? Somebody, he doesn't kill the Israelite, he kills an Egyptian. So he runs for his life. Well, where we start our story today, many years have gone by, a lot of years. And Moses has gotten really comfortable. He is really far away from Egypt. He's pretty sure nobody after all this time is going to come after him. He's settled down. He's got a job as a shepherd. He's married. He's got some kids. He's putting down some roots. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves unless God is calling you to do something different. Are you following me? But he's very, very comfortable. And one day, while he's walking his sheep around, somewhere near the mountain of Sinai, he sees on Sinai, he sees a burning bush and it freaks him out. So he goes to check it out. And he goes up on the hill. And when he gets there, what's the first thing God tells him to do? Take off your shoes. Get out of your comfort zone. And and holy ground means it's set aside. Holy ground means it's different than everything else. Holy ground means there's purpose here that's God's purpose. It's not just whatever we think. And he says, you're standing on holy ground. It's just a mountain, but because God was there and he was calling Moses there and sending Moses from there, suddenly there was something really special about Mount Sinai. See, here's the pattern I hope you're going to see today. God is always going to call you out of something and into something else. He's going to call you from something and to something else. And, and when we have a genuine connection with God, a genuine mountaintop experience, if you will, you're going to be called out of something and into something. That's what's happening to Moses here. And what what happens is God is always going to replace our fears and our doubts and our legitimate questions. In that story, Moses had all three, a lot of all three. And so do you. And so do I. But he replaces those with enough trust that we can still follow him anyway. We can push through it. We we can actually see what he's going to do even if we don't get the answers or get the reassurance or whatever else that we're seeking. And it begins by rejecting all other gods. Moses asked him, who are you? And God says, I am. Moses had been educated. He knew all about the Egyptian gods. He knew all of that stuff. But he's going, 
it's God. Before we go any further, I want to make sure something's clear here. If you take my advice and I pray, I literally pray you do, that you go back and read this in the original text, okay? You're going to see sometimes this mountain is called Sinai and sometimes it's called Horeb. It's the same place, okay? If you go there today, you're going to, just like any place else, Jesus was born here. No, it was here. No, it was here. People are going to argue because they want to sell tickets. You know what I'm saying? People are going to have all these questions. They're going to make it complicated. But let me make it as simple as possible. If you come to Kingston, Tennessee, and you get off at exit 352, you're going to T-bone into a street called Kentucky Street. Are you with me? And if you turn left, I don't know exactly where it happens, but suddenly you're on Sugar Grove Valley Road. Okay? And if you turn right on Kentucky Street, I'm not sure where it happens, but suddenly you're on 58. 58, Kentucky Street, Sugar Road Valley Road, same thing. Okay? So let's all just relax. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb is the exact same thing. All right? That's, let's, we'll move on from there. Moses was not expecting the burning bush. He wasn't expecting anything, really. He was trying to just stay comfortable. But when he takes off his shoes and he listens to God, God gives him some very clear, very focused goals. And he sends him out. He leaves the mountain knowing that he's now going to be teamed up with somebody named Aaron and some other people. And God's mission for him is actually starting. So it starts, let me me do this one more time. It starts by taking off your shoes, getting out of your comfort zone. But just so you know where this journey is going, he's going to put his shoes back on and get to work. Are we tracking so far? So this whole process happens again not too long afterwards. He goes back to Egypt. And you've probably heard this story as well. So again, you need to read it right out of the scriptures, but I'll condense it. Here's what happens. He goes back. He tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. Pharaoh says no. There's the plagues. A bunch of us have actually been exploring this lately in different groups, and it's been fun. The kids even have been exploring it. This should be something you can talk to as a family and explore that story together. But there's all this stuff happens, and then there's the parting of the Red Sea. And here's what happens. Watch. God calls them out of slavery through the wilderness into to become his people. He didn't just want them to be free. He wanted them to be his people. Does that make sense? Don't miss the beauty of the symbol of passing through water. Uh, this is, this is, there's so much going on in this. It's so foundational. But he comes, he takes them out of slavery and into becoming his people. And that's why they come to Mount Sinai the next time. And boy, is it uncomfortable. There's storm and lightning and all this crazy stuff going on. God calls Moses. He's gone for over a month. They freak out. They go back to idolatry again. Like it's this whole messy, terrible story. But by the time it's finally done, they've got not only the Ten Commandments, but all the other commandments that they kind of summarize. The Ten Commandments kind of break all the other stuff down in a way we can understand. There's four about how to treat God, six about how to treat each other. Jesus Christ later broke them all down into just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And those who are watching online, if you've never been here, there's banners hanging behind me. I'm not just randomly pointing at the wall. But here's the thing. 
That's very specific. If you go through your life and every choice you're making, you're going, am I putting God first here? And you've got a choice about how to treat another person and you go, am I, would I like it if somebody did that to me? And you're focused on living that way. That's really the only two rules you need. God's very specific even when he's vague. He expects us to live differently on the other side of our encounter with him. Many years go by. Moses leads the people for a long time. They wander in the wilderness. Eventually they get to the edge of Canaan. Joshua becomes their leader. They go into Canaan. They conquer Canaan. There's the time of the judges. And then it's the time of the kings and the prophets. And in that time, we see another major story of somebody going to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. And this is the prophet Elijah. Now, if anybody ever just never had a comfort zone, it's probably Elijah. And this guy was just kind of an outsider and a wild man the whole time. And especially after he confronted King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and started this three years of drought and he's running for his life, basically. And during that season, he's fed by ravens. He's fed by a widow in another country. It's just always a little bit out of anything that seemed normal or okay or weird. And yet God is constantly taking care of him. Well, here he comes. He comes back. And there's this awesome story. We're working toward there. If you hadn't figured out Mount Carmel's in this series, it's in there. He has this amazing, amazing moment where God sends down fire from heaven and reestablishes himself as the God of Israel. And it's this wonderful thing. And right after that, he goes into this period of depression and anxiety. And we, I don't know what all we'd label it today, but he literally ends up laying on the ground, begging God to just take his life. He feels like he's just completely alone and there's no point even going on. And the legacy that he's gonna leave is just nothing. He's been wasting his time and God is not taking care of him. Well, God invites him to the mountain of the Lord. And he hikes for a long time. We'll come back to his story in just a second, but I I hope that you'll get this much out of it right this minute before we move on. Elijah had to do the same thing. He gets there, he has to get out of his comfort zone. When he gets there, what he's going to find is God's going to give him some very specific goals. And on the other side, when he gets his shoes back on, things are going to be different. He's going to team up with some other people. He's going to get the job done. In your handout today, um, sometimes there's little blanks to fill in, little keywords. Today, everything on there that I'm hoping that you write down or at least pray about or think about is something that it's actually a decision. I'd like us to all actually have a Mount Sinai kind of a moment today. I'm not kidding. I I really am hoping and praying this for you and for me. But here's what's gonna have to happen. The first thing is this. We have to say, Lord, I reject all the other gods. Just like Israel, just like Moses, just like Elijah, dramatically get rid of anything that's competing for God's Will God's presence in our lives get rid of it once and for all? And for some of us, the things that compete 
for our heart against God is not really sin. It's not really wrong things. It's just we're so busy or whatever else. For some of it, it's truly wrong things. It's relationships or, or addictions or who knows what that we never should have been in in the first place, but they control us. We're in slavery. The first step is he's going to call you out of that. And I'd like to just give you a second here to write something down. Lord, I reject this. And I surrender to you. I'm serious. You can write something down. Everybody's looking at me like, no, I, I want you to talk to God. This is, this is you and God. Maybe it's just fears, doubts, questions that you can't let go of. Maybe it's something really tangible. I don't know. Maybe it's going to come back to you in a few minutes. But if God's already told you something, write it down. You too, back at home. So here's the next one. God's always going to call us out of something and to something. And all of that happens here on the mountain. We get there, we get out of our comfort zone, we get even more out of our comfort zone, we take off our shoes. We go exactly where God calls us to go. And then we have to go wherever he sends us. He's going to send us somewhere every single time. We accept his invitation, but then we also accept his challenge. For Elijah, it was just one season into another. Elijah had been faithfully following God up to this point, but he was kind of a a lone ranger kind of a character. He was a loner. He was doing his own thing and everybody like kind of was scared of him and kind of respected him and didn't really know what to think, but they knew he was from God. When he hits rock bottom, for whatever reason, he just can't go on anymore. And he has this moment up on the mountain with God he switches from being, in a profound way, he switches from being a loner to somebody who's all about mentoring other people and leaving a legacy. Somebody who ends up leaving his mantle to someone and they get a double portion. Somebody who goes from being the only prophet to not only having one prophet who's teamed up with him, but he's teamed up with two other key people. We'll see this in a moment. And also the whole school of prophets. It's a big deal. It's a big change. It's a major change. And again, he's not been rejecting God and following idols, but God is calling him from that season of being a loner into a season of being a mentor. And that happens too on the mountain. Maybe that's the kind of thing God's calling you to. Let's look at his story. This one we're going to read straight out of the scripture. Uh, Again, I've condensed a lot out of 1 Kings chapter 17 and on, but we're going to jump right into the middle of the story in 1 Kings 9. There he went into a cave. That's Elijah up on top of Mount Sinai going into a cave on that mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a funny thing for God to say, right? Because he invited him there. But God always knows your heart and my heart, and he always knows there's some layers, right? What are you really doing here? What's your real issue? What do you really want? He always asks those kind of questions. And Elijah, like most of us, he has a speech ready for God. 
Anybody else have a speech ready for God sometimes? You find yourself praying the same prayers every single time? And by the way, that, that thing still, please? Anybody? Yeah. Well, that's what's happening here. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. We're going to come back to this idea, but let me just remind you really quickly. God does not, he's not in the suffering you're going through. He's with you in that suffering. If you're in a storm, God is going to be the one that offers you a chance to walk on water. Or eventually, long after you wish he would have done it, he's going to calm the storm. Or he's going to calm you. But God isn't necessarily the storm. Does this make sense? That's a deep concept, but we're going to come back to it on another day. It's just we see it here and I just want to notice it. We keep going. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I'm going to pause there for a second too. This term gentle... Throughout the scripture, anytime you see gentle, it implies that there's, you're strong enough that you have to be careful with other people. But this particular Hebrew word that's translated gentle here, there's an extra stuff to it here. I think a better translation, honestly, would be intimate. The idea here is not just that you're not trying to hurt somebody, but that you're, you, you're close to this somebody. It's, it's the kind of when you whisper in somebody's ear a little secret joke or you're embracing them and you say, I love you, right into their ears or you got this. That, that's the kind of whisper this is, okay? It's gentle. I'm not saying it's not gentle. It's just it's more than that. It's, it's a very personal kind of whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, watch this, see if this sounds familiar. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I'm just going to say it, it's exactly the same word for word in the scripture. You can see a picture of Elijah or something. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Even in this moment, he hasn't completely taken his shoes off. Even in this moment, he's still not completely getting that God is trying to switch things around for him. He's calling him out of something, into something else. But it happens. And at this moment, we don't see exactly how this happened, but somehow in this moment, God hears him and he hears God. Watch, watch God's reply. He doesn't go, oh, Elijah, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were lonely. Oh, Elijah, 
Wow, okay, I finally heard you. Sorry, I was a little distracted earlier. But suddenly, in this moment, he reveals his plan and Elijah sees what's going to happen next. So the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. In other words, I already built you a team. You just don't know about it yet. When you leave here, things are going to change. I already had it planned. This is just the moment you get it. Up here in the mountain, when you finally come to me and you get out of your comfort zone, which is one around the wilderness, feeling all lonely, when you finally get up here with me and you throw everything at my feet, I got it. I got you. And this next season is going to leave a bigger legacy than the first one. This morning, I'd like you to write something else down, if you would. I'm not somebody that likes to write stuff down. I get it. Everybody's wired differently. But would you at least pray? Would you at least think about this? I guarantee you that God wants to meet you somewhere. God wants you to have a regular kind of a Mount Sinai kind of a thing. And the three circles he's always going to put us in and meet us in are alone. We all need a time alone with God. We need somewhere where it's just him and us. Nobody else is watching. We're not showing off. We're not being embarrassed about anything. We're just pouring our hearts. We all need that spot. We all need a small group. We all need somebody who's holding us accountable and doing life with us. Maybe that's a Sunday school class or a growth group or a men's Bible study, women's Bible study. It, it could be so many different things, but we need some other Christians that are doing this with us. And they're gonna call us on our stuff. They're gonna give us feedback and see if we're actually accomplishing those focused strategic goals. So some of us don't take the big group as seriously as we need to, but that's important too. I'd like you to write this down. Lord, I will meet you at... Do something specific. What is God putting on your heart this morning? Maybe you do one of those or two of those, but something seems missing and you know God's calling you to do that other one. And also I guarantee you that the very minute that God calls you to be with him, he's also going to send you somewhere. I'd love for you to write down if he's already telling you. Maybe you already knew before you came here this morning. But he's saying, I want you to go to this person. I want you to join or start this group. I want you to do this ministry. I want you to, I'm calling you to do this job. Would you write down that you're willing to do that? Most of you are still looking at me. I'd like you to talk to God or write something down. But here's where we're wrapping up what we're doing here this morning. We've got a few more minutes here. But the big idea that you see every single one of these encounters at Mount Sinai is God takes somebody who either is alone or feels very alone and puts them with a group of people. 
Moses, before he even gets back to Egypt, he's met by Aaron and several others. He's teamed up with Miriam and Joshua and so many others, and he ends up being a leader of the nation of Israel. Israel goes, again, from being slaves to being the people of God. And Elijah goes from being a loner to being somebody who leads a team and leaves a huge legacy. And there's even more of that. Um, uh, In 1 Kings 19, this is the rest of God's reply. Not only is he given Elijah these specific people he names, he goes, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he goes on and does all the other stuff God told him to do. So who are you going to team up with? Maybe you're already in a team. Maybe you're already married to somebody or you're, you're dating them or maybe you've already made really close friends with somebody. You just need to get tighter, more intentional, more strategic, more focused on the goals that God has given each of you and given, the, given you as a team. Maybe it's a small group that you need to be part of. Maybe it's this church or God's global church. Maybe you've never come to Christ in the first place. But I promise you, God has designed you and designed me Designed every human being on this planet to be part of a team that involves him and somebody else and you. I promise you, that's how we're designed every single time. This concept of the mountain of the Lord begins with these stories. And it's applied in different ways throughout the scripture. It's, it's applied as a symbol and in several ways, not only to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion and several other, the idea of going up to meet God gets kind of threaded through and reimagined several times throughout the scripture. Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust an idol or swear by a false God. How do we get clean hands and a pure heart? There's something else hanging behind me every single Sunday too. It's a big cross. It's only through Jesus. But also in scripture, you also have these, anytime you see clean and pure, there's also this other meaning of it's 100%. You're totally focused. You, you can't get there without Jesus, but through Jesus, God is asking us to be 100% his. 100% there. We don't have any other idols. We don't have any other stuff that we also bring to, it's just our allegiance to God. The psalmist continues, they, people who do that, they approach God with clean hands, a pure heart, no idols. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God our Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. In other words, it's not going to just affect them, it's going to affect the people around them. People are going to tell that story for years to come. 
Some of the other mountains we'll visit as we go, because God loves this symbol. Mount Zion is where they built Jerusalem. It's the temple. Jerusalem is where the Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. In Matthew 28, Jesus takes them up on a mountain when he gives them the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded. I will be with you always till the end of the age. And again, you see the same pattern every single time. People are a little bit uncomfortable in those stories. What in the world's going on? What are these tongues of fire? Why is Jesus leaving? But when they come, they leave with purpose. When they come, they realize something's changed and things are different now. They leave as a team. They leave with other people to help them accomplish these clear goals. This morning, I'm asking you to not only take off your shoes, but put them back on. Whatever God's asked you to do this morning, we're going to give you a chance to do it. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. Maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you need to stay where you are. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to raise your hands. Maybe you need some privacy. You want to go to the back. There will be people back there to pray with you. Maybe you want to come up here in the front and share with everybody. I I know a lot of people find it very meaningful to come and actually kneel here. People come and comfort them and pray with them, encourage them. They see some of their team instantly in real time. But I'm asking you this morning, let this be a real Mount Zion moment for you and for all of us. Come to God, get out of that comfort zone. Commit to going where he asks you to go. Then get those boots back on and let's go there together.